You're listening to the Nerd to Know Media Network. Join us at nerdtoknowmedia.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, it's now time for our main event. Take a trip back in time to the golden era of the wrestling world with your host, Chris Tetrold Blaine. Welcome to Once Upon a Turnbuckle. Wrestling fans, don't ever tell me I don't give you anything. Uh, not only am I dropping a, a bonus episode this week, but I've brought along some very special guests. Um, a couple of legends in their own right. One of them is, is a true legend of the ring. So I'm so excited for this one. But um, yeah, without further ado, welcome back to the show, Nick Massey from Captain's Corner. He's in talking to his little wife. Is he? That's fine. That's fine. But yeah. uh, the, the real star of the show then, you know, Cowboy Scott Casey, welcome to Once Upon a Turnbuckles there. Chris, thank you very much. And I'll probably throw a little cockney at you because I, <laughs> I was Lord Al Hayes and uh, the British Bulldogs quite a bit, you know, so if cool. I'm embarrassed, I'm too bad. <laughs> no, no, absolutely fine. No, no, go right ahead. Go right ahead. So, um, I, uh, I, I don't really know where to start because you've had such a, a career. There's probably so much to talk about. And I, I don't want us to kind of dissect everything that's in your book because I'd rather people went out and bought it. But uh, um, if we kind of if we start back at the beginning. So just just for anyone who, who may not be too familiar with your story, you know, where did it begin for you? When did you discover wrestling for yourself before you actually got in the ring? I lived in Amarillo, Texas, the home of Tor Dory and Terry Funk and Dory Funk Sr. Mm -hmm. And Terry and I were pretty close to the same age. And uh, he asked me one day, he said, would you like to see the world or you want to stay here in Amarillo? And I said, I think I'd like to see the world. Absolutely. So hooked me up with Dick Murdoch, Terry, Dory Jr., Dory Funk Sr., and uh, Bobby Duncombe. And they all got in the ring with me, and it, it was a long first day. But after that, you know, I just kept coming back, coming back, and they kept beating the crap out of me. And finally, I guess they said, well, hell, we can't get rid of them. We might as well <laughs> teach them how to wrestle. And they did. And that was back in uh, late 1969, and I started in 70. And uh, I went from Amarillo down to... Tampa, Florida. And uh, on the way down to Florida, I had a little Volkswagen. You know, when you're, you don't have a lot of money. And anyway, so I, uh, I'm driving along and my Volkswagen starts smoking. I went, oh, hell. And this truck driver stopped and he said, what happened? I said, I don't know. He just, he said, well, I've got a friend in Decatur, Texas, which was wasn't that far away from where we were he said i'll take you over there and let him look at it and i we went over there and uh he said your thermostat went out on you okay well i didn't know what that i thought it was something that you stuck in your mouth for getting your temperature but anyway i i uh talked to him and he said my partner here or buddy he knew that they knew each other he said my, my buddy said you're starting to wrestle and i i mentioned Tor terry and dory funk he went nuts. He said, I know you probably don't have a lot of money. He said, and this is going to run you well, four, five, $600, somewhere in there. He said, and uh, I will fix it for you. And, and you can just send me money. I, he gave me his address. And uh, I made it down to Tampa, Florida. And that's how I got started. At first, wow. I thought I'd be a pearl diver in a restaurant washing dishes, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I made it down there, 
I walked into 106 North Albany in Tampa. Then that's where they had their office. And here stood Eddie Graham, Duke Kiyomuka, and Sputnik Monroe, an old-time wrestler. Wow. And I, they introduced me. You know, I introduced myself. They inter talked to me and stuff. And Eddie and Duke left. And here was Sputsy. And he said, the way he talked, he said, kid, by the time you finish, finish this profession, you'll be like, you'll have gone everywhere. I said, what do you mean? He said, you'll be like Coca-Cola. <laughs> right. I went around the world nine times. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I've been to Saudi Arabia. I've been to England. I've been to Japan, Australia, New Zealand, you name it. And uh, it was quite an experience. I wouldn't take for it. My body would love it if I did not <laughs> much stuff, but you know, you, you people watch you in the ring and they, they see you taking these, what we call bumps mm -hmm. and uh, they just, they think, Oh, that's not hard to do. Well, maybe it's not when you're young, but yeah. when you get older, it just jumps all over you like a bad habit, yeah. you know? I mean, they, they say, yeah, I, I, I get really annoyed as a fan when I hear people say, you know, it's fake or it looks, you know, it's easy. you guys probably make it look easy because of what you've been through. But even then, I wouldn't want to do it. You know, well, I, 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 I take my hat off to every one of you for putting yourselves through this, you know, to, to give us the entertainment for it. I can imagine someone giving you a what we call a suplex out on a concrete floor. Mm -hmm. those chairs over my head uh running into walls you know uh, just numerous things and more bumps than you can imagine and but when you're young you don't it doesn't bother you you know but it just grabs a hold of you when you get older but i you know i wouldn't take for it i had a great time doing it and uh and it's just like anything there's ups and downs there's happiness there's disappointments and you just you just kind of go with the flow and I really enjoyed it. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. Wouldn't change it. I mean, I, um, like I say, I, I, when I grew up, I had aspirations, you know, as, as I think any wrestling fan does of finding a way into it myself, it didn't happen, but, you know, being able to, to share in your stories, particularly from this era, because the whole point of my podcast is celebrating what I call the golden era. So going back to the eighties, nineties, that's what I grew up with. You know, and, and having guys like you around to be able to share your stories helps us live it with you almost, I say. So uh, so thank you for going through it, <laughs> you know, to be honest. Well, we all have our story. We all have our much in the sun. Mm -hmm. And it's just like I told somebody one time, they said, well, why did you take steroids? And I admit that I did it. Mm -hmm. I said, because I wanted to get bigger and more muscular. I mean, you can only go so far with what God gave you. And mm -hmm. if you find some way to enhance it, so be it. It may be cheating, but that's what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just. And, and fair, fair play for yeah. you admitting that as well, because there was so many, you know, through the late 80s, early 90s, when it the, the, that kind of scandal hit the, hit the spotlight that, that denied it, even though. You know, they've either come out and said it now or it was blatantly obvious well, what they were. Oh, These guys, the average person does not look like that. No. I'm sorry, folks, but you have to build yourself up. I mean, I was bench pressing 500 pounds, doing 330 behind the neck, squatting wow. with four pounds, repetitions. Mm. And uh, it's just, it's what I, you know, it, you have a window in time and you, can accomplish what you can with you when you're a certain age and then once you go through that window you can't come back and do it again i've seen other guys when they got older try to do it and you you felt sorry for them and you thought that's pitiful yeah but i i quit when i was 42 which really was old but uh i did it up till then when i was in new york right and i after it that you know, because the guys got bigger and stronger and more durable. And mm. I find that that's enough. I've had enough. But it, I enjoyed the ride. 
and I wouldn't take anything for it. It's just like I say in my book, you know, it's it's one last ride for the yeah. cowboy. So let's let's go back to your first ride, if we can. So when you um, when you first actually start started wrestling, I believe you started off in in Joe Blanchard's promotion. Um, what, what was that? I'm sorry, it was Southwest Championship Wrestling. Yeah. So, so what, what are your memories of, of right back at the beginning? You know, um, obviously, you know, being very green around that time. You know, was there anyone in particular that was was influential on you when you started or someone that you gravitated towards that you, you kind of well, drew from? Uh, when I first started, I was in Amarillo, and then they sent me down to Florida. But I... Uh, I had to get these things out of my ear. Anyway, I I had I went from Amarillo to Florida and then to the Carolinas. And that's where I got most of my training was from the Carolinas. Mm. I had like Mr. Wrestling too, Tim Woods, Johnny Valentine, the Scott brothers, Sandy and and uh and uh I can't even think of his brother's name right now. But anyway uh thunderbolt patterson jerry jack briscoe wow. you know i'm it, it, and the hits just keep coming i mean mm. and the talent it, back then i don't know how they do it now i was in the ring and we were i was working with a guy by the name of frank morell and frank gave me a high spot which was like one tackle drop down hip toss arm drag get up arm drag again uh slam your and you know you've got to process all this within a matter of seconds and i remember i missed one part of the spot and he said if you do that again i'm going to beat the crap out of you and i said i won't forget and i never did and it was a valuable lesson because you know it's part of the show it's how you make it get over or how it appears to the people mm -hmm. and uh, i uh i learned quickly uh, and the old timers didn't care if they, they may have smacked you around a little bit, but you know, they didn't try to hit you in the eyes or nose or the groin, yeah, yeah. but wanted to know if you had enough steel in you to keep on keeping on a prime example of that was Johnny Valentine. Okay. We're in high point TV and uh, George Scott, Sandy's brother, who one I couldn't think of it for a while ago, but anyway, he said, do you know anything about Johnny Valentine? I said, no. And he pushed me through the curtains and said, fight for your life. And I went, oh, shit, what's going to happen now? Oh, so we, anyway, I got out there and John would not hit you in the nose or the eyes or the groin, but he would beat the piss out of you anywhere else. And he beat on me and beat on me. And I'm kind of nervous and scared. And he knocked me out on the apron and I, you know, being from Texas, I said, you know, by God, I'm 1,500 miles from Amarillo, Texas, but I'll be dipped in shit before I let somebody beat me up and not let them know I was there. Right. I got up, and I'm telling you what, Chris, I hit this hit Johnny so hard, I buckled his knees. Oh, wow. He goes, I love it. <laughs> he just wanted of... to see if I could take it, and he could yeah. take it. You, know? you command that, respect that way. Yeah, oh, I mean, after that, never said a word. He glide as a feather, easy to wrestle. Wrestled him many times after that. Never bothered me, never tried that again. But it's like uh, he said, people may think think it's fake, but get in there with me. And uh, <laughs> he was with his ways. And so was his son, Greg. I wrestled both of them. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I, I, he, was, he was one of my sort of... He, he, I was a quiet Greg Valentine fan. I think when I grew up, he was he was mostly the heel, and it wasn't cool back then to like the heel. But I was always sort of mesmerized by him because he. he had, it's just like promoters used to say: if you're good, you have it. Mm. If you're not, you don't have it. What that means: you got the charisma, the personality, the personification of your aura and your charisma popping out to the people and they're buying what you're selling mm, yeah. and uh, that's what they did with with me when i wrestled in southwest championship wrestling but you know you you, you learn so much from guys yeah. uh nothing royal uh, was an old timer that was unbelievable right. and, uh, tony charles 
the British Bulldogs, David Boy and Tommy. And it just, they knew how to go in the ring. And back then, if you couldn't do 20 minutes without breathing hard, you weren't in shape. And I mean, all of these guys would run right through you if, if they thought that you couldn't carry the load. And <laughs> you learned to respect. You learned and you got, you gave respect and you got respect simply by being able to do what you had to do. <laughs> Going back to something you said when you were training, where you just kept coming back, coming back. There's, there's quite a lot of these, um, these like famous biographies and that, that I've read of guys, you know, like Hulk Hogan or whatever. And that's the one thing that keeps cropping up is that that's the same message they put out there is when they started, they didn't realize how hard it would be. And that the fact that they kept going back is the reason why they got taken seriously. Right. So, so I guess in the ring, like you just said, if you, if you can take it and give back, you show these guys you're serious. Whenever I wrestled for Dallas, for Fritz Von Erich and the Von Erichs, one night in Fort Worth, he said, uh, Fritz came up and said, okay, you guys are the first match. Give me a good match. Me and uh, Jack Victory went out there. We went 20 minutes through up, down, in the ring, out of the ring, up against the post, and slamming, 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 hip toss, drop kicks, beating the piss out of each other. At the time it was over, we got back to the dressing room, and back then they they paid you in cash. Mm. Fritz, Fritz gave us both another $100. That was mm. an unbelievable match, simply because we busted our ass, and we made the – it's like the old timers used to say, the first match – can tell you how the rest of the card's gonna go yeah yeah that's what they and uh i things pop in my head i remember luthez an old-time world champion he's standing there looking out those curtains and i'm I'm, i walked up and i said lou what are you doing he said i'm watching a match i said you were seven times world champion why do you want to watch the match he said because you can always learn from somebody you can steal from it and you can put it in your repertoire but you can always learn. And I never forgot that. And I always watch the matches. Wow, if he and, could do it. Yeah. Why not? If you know, he, he's one of the, like the grandfathers of the sport as it's yeah. known, you know, Oh, wow. That's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Moving on then to your, you nicely segued into that. So you, um, you also wrestled for, for world-class, let's say for the Von Erics. What was that like? Did you have a lot, sort of a lot of interaction with the, the Von Erics at all? Firstly? Well, you know, I think of the Von Eggers and I think how, and I'm sorry, folks, how senseless it was for those young men to take their lives like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not real religious, but I know that God says that's the one thing he won't forgive you for, committing suicide. Sure. Anyway, but uh, it didn't matter what you looked like, how much ability you had, or who you had beaten in the past. If they, if you weren't a Von Eric, you were only going to go so far up the ladder. Sure. And that just, it, it's like the old saying, it's my backyard, it's my football. If you don't like it, leave. Mm. And that's exactly the way they did it. And uh, that's just the way life was, you know. Yeah. And I knew that. I, did, I stayed there probably for about a year and I left after that. But you, you just, I just shake my head still thinking about. Kerry and David and Chris and Mike taking their life. It's so sad, but that's, but, but they'll always live in the memory of people and they'll be just because of that, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, I, um, Kerry Von Eric probably was the only Von Eric I was aware of as I was growing up and, and he was one of the first ones that passed that I knew of, you know, I, I was still quite young at the time, so I didn't really understand what happened, you know, how it happened or anything like that. It was just sad yeah. to, to know he wasn't there. And then, you know, as I learned more, as I grew up about his family and that it's, yeah, a lot of people think, you know, was it a curse on the family? You know, there's something running through there, you know, that, that I'm going to get out of the fans from saying this. It wasn't a curse. They were just plain stupid to do something i'm sorry you know life is too precious it's and we only have so long on this earth to live it so why shorten it you know but they did and i'm sorry folks that's just the way i feel no that's brilliant no thanks for sharing that appreciate it 
Um, so sticking with with uh, with world class, you know, there's um, obviously so many other names have gone through there. Do you remember any any particular memories, any particular matches or people you worked with there, apart from obviously the Von Erichs? I remember working. <laughs> we were at the Sportatorium in Dallas, an old old building. You know, Elvis Presley even played in there. But anyway. I am with Iceman King Parsons, and we're against Mark Lewin and Gary Hart. They were uh-huh. in the ring, and they were getting a lot of heat or hate hatred to those guys for beating up on poor old Scott. The next thing I know, there's this little fella and uh, of the Black Persuasion, and he jumps in the ring. Couldn't wait him more than 130 pounds, and he was going around trying to. Get <laughs> and I'm sitting in the corner laughing my butt off. And Gary said, if I get a hold of him, I'm going to kill him. But they never did. It was so funny because every time they try to grab at him, boop, it was just thin air. <laughs> and uh, we had some, we had a lot of laughs over that. Okay. And I said, you think you could ever work wrestle that fast? He said, no. Not <laughs> mind. But it was fun. You it know, was, he, it was that that was just a fan, was it? Or was someone? Who, yeah, it was just a fan. You know, it wasn't part of the show, nothing. But uh, Dan, you know, and that that always comes to mind to me. You know, and yeah, <laughs> I, I, we wrestled so many of the greats there. One man gang. Uh, I'm trying to think. Dory Funk Jr., Terry Funk came in there. Uh, you know, they would always get some star present star or past star coming in there and uh, helping pump up the yeah. crowd or get more but more fans in the seat or more butts yeah. in the seat yeah. and uh it was it was fun you know um, but back then you had to create a story you got in the ring you started it out you got to the middle and boom, you finally got to the finish. Yeah. And nowadays, and now I, I really can't take anything away from the guys the way they work now, mm-hmm. but they're making a hell of a lot more money than I ever made in there. Yeah. And, uh, but we had to get the ourselves over with the crowd. And you had, like the old timers would say, you got to listen to the crowd, boy, and make sure that you're going to make it work. And we had, we worked our butt off to do it, but we did it, you know, and it was I think, quite an accomplishment. <clears throat> I think that's one of the things that I, I kind of just put me off over the years for the, the more, you know, the, the current product, because it seems to take the fans for granted. You know, it's almost like all these things get written. The matches are way over rehearsed. They're very good at what they do. But when you compare it back, say, to this era, to the era we're talking about, sort of the 80s and whatever, you didn't have the over-dramatization around the matches. You may have had sort of, you know, loose storylines, you know, why guys were going up against each other. But like you say, the story was in the ring. You didn't have all this drama happening in between, sort of week on week. But you you were able to, to probably garner more attention, in my opinion, back then because you know nowadays it runs really just like a tv show it's there you watch it if you if you're interested you don't if you don't it's still going to happen i remember a lot of uh, uh, valuable information that was given to me by different guys and the one thing the first time i ever had to wrestle an hour i don't know if any of these guys can go an hour now but i mean we did it i would do it sometimes two three times a week Mm. and uh the it I, I I was talking to Dory Funk Jr., who was the world champion at the time. And I said, Dory, how the hell am I supposed to work this? He said, Scott, break it up into six 10-minute matches. Do one, do two, do three, four, five, six. You know, do false finish at the end of the yeah. first 10, false finish at the end of the second, third, fourth, and so on. And it worked, you know, but I mean, I thought, how unique that somebody would come up with that way of doing a, an hour match. But I guarantee you, he met junior went and did many, many, yeah. many hour matches. Him and Jack Briscoe. I can remember watching these two wrestle and it was like poetry in motion. Wow. Unbelievable. Was... So impressed. Yeah. 
Yeah, you, you learned it. You wouldn't. I I was I was not subject. I absolutely loved it. The one sort of sixty minute match that I remember growing up in my era was the Iron Man match from WrestleMania twelve with Bret Hart and, and Shawn Michaels. You know they were my two favourites at the time. The when I look back on that match, I've seen a few other ones that have gone that long, and that I, there's something about that one that I I never find boring. You know, however yeah, well, they structured it, it. It probably did it pretty similar to what I said. Yeah. Mm. You can't go out there and beat on somebody for 30 or 40 minutes and not do anything about it. That's why you had to break it up into segments. Yeah. And uh, it works. Mm. It, I have trained different guys and shown them what I was talking about, and it works. Mm. And uh, I speaking of training people, I'm very proud that I trained Booker T and his brother Stevie Ray, and yeah. I tried to trade the ultimate warrior but okay he just he grasped it to a certain degree but he didn't catch a hold but it's like i told him i said jim his real name jim helwig and i said jimmy if you will just bear with it i'll guarantee you, you'll be the world champion in six months i said because nobody looks like you nobody mm. acts like you and uh can go like you do and it wasn't six months later he was a world champion yeah but uh those are a few of the guys that i trained That's and amazing. i'm very proud i was going to touch on that a bit later actually booker t you know stevie Wright, harlem heat again two two very big names legendary the legendary tag team that i grew up with so um this will kind you of know, we'll jump forward to that actually so you know what what was your first impression to them how how did you how did they sort of cross your path I had just finished wrestling in 1990 for the WWF. And uh, I got a call from Ivan Putsky, whose real name is Joe Bernardsky. And he's a true real deal Polak. And uh, he's Scott, would you, I know you, you threw up in New York. Would you mind coming down and helping me? And I said, no. So I went down there and they had a couple of guys in there working out and uh, he said, I've got two guys coming in. I think that we might be able to do something with. And no longer, no sooner than he said that, he said, there they are. And I turned around and here's these two brothers. And they're just more muscled up than they're all crazy. Yeah. And I got them in the ring and showed them a few falls and stuff. <clears throat> and then I did something that most trainers would never do. I told them the truth. And I said, look. They're going to call you names behind your back because of your race. Mm -hmm. They're going to call you names because of the way you look, you're muscled up. They're going to call you names because you can get in there and move. And they respected that. And uh, it wasn't maybe four or five years ago. This, well, that was 20 years ago, probably. But anyway, it wasn't, they uh, had me in, induct them into the, cauliflower alley club oh wow and uh that's very they, cool dude las vegas put me in a room and the whole bit took care of me and they said we just want to thank you for giving us our opportunity to, opportunity to be something in this world and yeah. i thought that was nice rest speech for itself i mean at that point did you i know it's 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 easy looking back on it now i suppose you know not having a crystal ball at the time but did you envisage that they would have the success they did? Absolutely. They caught it. I would show them something in the ring and they'd do it better than I did when I first met them. Right. I mean, it, street kids and the, they could hustle and move and, and whatever. And I said, they're going to do all right. And they did. They mm -hmm. did great. Yeah. You know, and uh, it's just, I'm very proud of them. No, it's, 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 it's brilliant when you can sort of lay your hat on, on something like that. You know, if you if you didn't if you if you hadn't succeeded in anything else, you know, knowing that you had well, something to do with them. Plug my book one more time. It's One Last Ride, the Tale of Cowboy Scott Casey. Mm -hmm. And I tell people if you're opposed to awkward situations or uh, carnal knowledge situations or things, don't buy the book. If you want fun and you, you you know it was just things that well you know when you're a young man you you're going to do most anything and everything you can yeah. and you chase women and we did yeah. and uh, 
uh, you know, if you enjoy that kind of thing, well, then I hope you buy it. And uh, I'm proud of it. You know, like I said, it's 240 pages of tickles, tackles, and drop kicks. <laughs> Love One it. Line, the tale of Cowboy Scott Casey. There we go. There we go. I'll I'll talk more about the um I'll go back into the book in a bit. There's one one part when I knew I was gonna be able to talk to you. Obviously, there's one one stint of your career that I did want to touch on, which I, I guess a lot of people do, uh, was your time in the WWF. And from a personal perspective, my very first episode on this podcast, I talked about where I uh, where I first fell in love with wrestling and what it was that hooked me in. My very first glimpse of my own of, of wrestling was the WWF when I was given a VHS of the Survivor Series 88. So that event is, is always going to be you know, very dear to me. And you were on it. Um, yeah. I do have, I have a confession to make, though, is that for the first number of years I was a fan, I did think that you and Brian Blair were the same person. <laughs> <laughs> mainly because... Mainly because the UK, you took his place in the match, didn't you? Yeah. Yes, I replaced him. Uh, I don't know what happened, whether he had a sickness in the family or bad health or whatever, but I took his place because Vince walked up to me and asked me if I would do it. And I said, sure, I'd be glad to. I knew I was going to make a few dollars at that. Mm. So uh, I went out there. Let me back up and say, or maybe I've already said this. I don't know. I that. All four guys that we wrestled against, we were the baby faces. They were the heels. They're all dead. Harley yeah. Ray, Dino Bravo, Andre the Giant, and I can't remember the other one. Mr. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. They're all gone. Yeah. And uh, remember, I was talking to Tito Santana, and he mentioned that to me, and I said, well, you know, I never thought of that. Uh, but right, Scott, he said... Uh, Oh, I said, you're right, uh, Tito. They're it's, gone. It, it shows an injustice, what? really. I, I feel when when you lose legends, and they're not just like recently gone. You know, Andre's been gone for, for an age. You know, lost, lost these guys very young. Um, how, how much notice did you get before that event that you were going to be on it? Oh, about five minutes. Oh, really? <laughs> wow. I was there so you know, uh, we, you have a book of tick tickets and you, you know, you, I think it was in Ohio or something like that where we did it, yeah. but you go from one play, one major city to the next, when you were up there at the WWE now, and it was when the, it was the WWF, same thing. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I, I rode with some guys and we went there and I'm just sitting there and, and Vince said, you mind working the match? You, uh, Brian couldn't make it. I said, no. He said, well, get dressed, man. I'm stripping clothes off and putting clothes on. Crazy. And uh, it was quite a lot of fun. You know, I wrestled with Dino Bravo. Yeah. He beat me with something. Took about three minutes, but I made $5,000. I thought, well, I'd like to do that every three minutes. That life would be good, you know. <laughs> Uh, and it was the um, I blame the UK. Uh, it may well have been just the UK version, but the the cover of the um, the video still had Brian Blair listed on it, which is why a, I got all confused. Then when I watched yeah. it, I thought, oh, he's changed his name to Scott Casey. I never put two and two together. So. Yeah, Brian's a very good friend of mine. He lives in Tampa, Florida, and he's president of the Cauliflower Alley Club. He is. He is. And. Uh, he goes, I used to go when I lived down there to the Legends uh, meeting in in uh, Tampa. And uh, he presides over that too. But uh, he's a good president for the company and a good representative. Yeah. And, uh, he's, a, he's a legend. I, I can, I can, I probably can leak this. I mean, nothing's been arranged as yet, but I have been, um, I've been in touch with him over the last few months and about him coming on here as well, which I'm really, really looking forward to, you know, whenever we can arrange that. Hello, give him a big hug from me. Oh, well. <laughs> but, um, so sticking with your, your time in the WWF um, just for a bit longer. So when, when you went over there, it was, am I right in thinking it was like summer of 87? Well, about that time. Yeah. Until about 89, almost 90, no, and 90. It's, I wrestled from, I'm going to say 88 or 87 to 90 up there. I was very fortunate. And, uh, 
I reason I got in up there was because of Pat Patterson. Okay. I knew him and uh, his lover. I mean, he was gay. And as I did, you know, when you're 18 years old, I, I didn't and I live in West Texas, in a sheltered life. I didn't know anything about gayness and all this stuff. But I learned, you know, but I, I thought, well, that's what they want to do. Fine. But anyway, we were friends and I helped uh, Louie, his, his lover, I guess, drive their car back to San Francisco. And then they flew me back to uh, Amarillo. I'd never even been on an airplane at that time. But <laughs> anyway, anyway uh, they uh, were nice to me and I, I kept in touch with them. And then when I started wrestling and I got to the opportunity to, he got me an opportunity to go to WWF and I took it, you know, it's like going to world series of wrestling as far as I'm concerned. And, uh, I enjoyed it. And, uh, it just, and I was very fortunate to get up there, there. And, you know, it's funny when you go up there and you've set records like I did in, in uh, San Antonio and Houston, stuff like that, mm. that have still not been broken. Wow. And, uh, but they don't use you. It's simply because they don't have you figured in. Yeah. I went up there, weighing 245 pounds. I had almost 21 inch arms, 20 inch neck, 56 inch chest. I mean, I was built, but I was only 5'11. I, there must have been 20 guys my size, but were 6'2 and 6'3, and that's what they wanted. Yeah. But uh, I was fortunate to go in there and be there as long as I did. And yeah. uh, did, you did, know, you, I, did you envisage a certain amount of success though, or did you were you just, yeah, you know, count yourself fortunate that you were there? Yeah, it's just, you know, reality sits in and, and you say to yourself, well, I don't guess I was what I thought I was. Mm. But, but anyway, mm. uh, I, I'm not bitter about it. It's just, that's just the way life was. That's the way the business was. Mm. And uh, I remember when I was getting my walking papers, uh, Vince was sitting in a room and I walked in there and I said, 1990, do I have a job with you or not? He said, no. He said, I want you to go down to San to Atlanta and work there for a year and then come back and we'll do something with you. Mm. And I said, you know, Vince, I can accept failure when given a chance to fail. I said, but you never even gave me a chance. Uh, well, Scott, we really didn't know that much about you. Hell, I went all over the world. Everybody <laughs> at that time knew who I was. But instead of burning the bridge and telling him what an asshole he was, uh, I just said, okay, I'm out of here. He said, well, go down there. I said, no. I said, I've had my, la my last run with you uh, guys. Okay. And, you know, you... you I'm telling you, Chris, I worked out six days a week, one to two hours a time for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Never missed, I've missed Sunday. I take that off, but never missed it and worked out to stay in shape because I love what I did. Yeah. I mean, not many people can say I I'm getting paid to do what I love. And mm -hmm. that's what it was me. And I enjoyed it. And, you know, it's like anything. You're going to have ups and downs and sideways. You're going to get sideways with some people and, and things are going to work out but you you just go on keep on keeping on you know? yeah. and uh, that's life that's the way it was so so like a stint in wcw wasn't on your mind so then it wasn't something that you wanted to do or was the opportunity just not presented yeah i i was 42 going on 43 when this happened and i thought to myself you know I'm not a young man anymore for this sport. And I think I'll just hang them up mm. decision. And it's not because I wanted to, it's just time told me to, mm. uh, that's the way it, it came out. You know, I, it was just sad, but true. That's yeah. the way it was. But I think I'd rather look back, you know, again, as a fan, rather look back on a career that may have ended at that stage what would be the right time rather than someone try to loop back round, like you said earlier when they're past it because that you know people like i mean i take rick flair i mean he's done wonders for the sport and everything but i just wish that he he wasn't in the ring as long as he was because well, you're left with that image over everything else almost it's kind of like being a drug addict once you get it you can't hardly get away from it mm. 
that was like Rick was that way. You know, what I mean, he yeah. he had energy, he had charisma, but you're right. He stayed. He, I think he wrestled for about thirty years. I'm not sure. I'm going to say something like that, mm. but you just you got to know when to. It's like Kenny uh, Rogers said, "Got to know when to hold him, know when to fold him." You know. Yeah, absolutely. You know, walk away and that's what i had to do because i'd seen other guys older guys that kept on it doing it and and they didn't have the personality or the ability that flair had and it was just embarrassing to watch yeah. him i didn't want to be embarrassed by anybody no <clears throat> that's that's fair enough i don't i don't don't blame you i don't think anyone anyone would to be honest with you rather look back on your career as it was you know knowing it had an end point rather than went too far so uh oh I had a lot of good fun and I, yeah. I set some records and I'm proud of it. And uh, it's just, they'll stay with me hopefully till I pass on. Yeah, absolutely. So um, <laughs> just, just talk briefly about what happened then. So when you were, after you decided, you know, that was it, did you, did you stay within the industry in any capacity or did you walk away? I, uh, when I quit, I went back to Dallas. I was married at the time and, uh, Ivan Putsky got a hold of me. Did I tell you this earlier about the, the oh, I told you about the guys, but anyway, he got a hold of me and said, would you come down and help me train some of these guys? I said, sure. And that's what I did for a while. And then after that was over with, uh, went back up in the panhandle and stayed there. And uh, just, you know, I got into security with a company in Amarillo. And then I, I got into a security with a, company out in las vegas and uh what i did for about 20 years and it was different complete change yeah. of pace what i did <laughs> with wrestling but uh it was that's probably not a bad thing though after that many years oh, at that pace you yeah. made pretty good money and uh yeah. not like i did when i wrestled but it's still i'm not complaining no so, so bringing it up a little bit more up to date. So, your book, um, One Last Ride. How did that come about? How did you and Nick Massey sort of meet, and how did this project take off? I met Nick. Nick. Yep. How did I meet you? I've heard... uh, Lori from Texas put us in touch about an appearance about four or five years ago. Yeah, Lori McGee got us in touch with each other and we were talking and he said why don't you write a book and i said i never thought of it but i've got a lot of stories to tell and it's like i tell people i didn't throw anybody under the bus i didn't talk about guys that they were messing around on their wives and i could have got a lot of divorces going if yeah. i had no that's not me and uh, i just i don't know uh we got to talking and we kept collaborating back and forth and finally he said i think we've got it all down and believe me when i say this from the bottom of my heart i could never have done it without nick no. i mean he's got more knowledge about books and stuff like that i mean i went to college but i mean i didn't get the whole gist of it like he did as far as writing books mm. and uh i think we put together a damn good book you know we've got picked i've got picked on the front of the book there's a picture of uh, uh sunshine and me uh pat patterson cowboy lang and i'm looking at the pictures now and uh it was a lot of fun you know yeah. i mean i loved wrestling when i when i had a midget partner we had more fun and um i remember i was in australia and i was with uh little tokyo or he, they call him akabani which means little feather right and he walked up to me and he goes, he points at his mouth. He says, Etai, which means hurt. I said, what, a tooth? He said, yeah. So we went and found a dentist, but on the way there, we were stopping long enough and there's this lady of the evening. And he said, oh, you're a cute little bugger. And she said, do you speak English? He said, no, he did, but he, he said, speak English. She said, well, you're kind of daft, aren't you? He looked at her and he said, you speak Japanese? She said, no. He said, you daft too. I thought I was going to kill him. He, he ran behind me. <laughs> and uh, it was, I had, I had so many little things like that. I talked to uh, different people, different situations. And 
But like I said, I didn't throw anybody under the bus, but I made it entertaining enough that I think yeah. people are really going to enjoy it. I've had a lot of re good response from people yeah. after they read the book, and uh, hopefully we'll keep on keeping on for a while. I, I can't wait. I can't wait to get a copy myself and read it because, you know, I, I, I haven't read years ago i went through a spate when i was reading anyone's biography i could lay my hands on but i i haven't really been driven to read anyone else's story until i knew about yours because i think one of the things i've heard nick say one of the reasons why he wanted to do it is because there's certain guys in the sport who everyone knows their story but there's there's so many like yourself that have that have you know worked with massive names been massive names yourself been throughout the territories through this era which sooner or later there's not going to be any stories left if they're not written down right so you know i yeah i i think having more from from your era you know do this and get books out there is a must really while while they still can well it's a mixture of the good the bad and the ugly but you know <laughs> that's just what it is yeah. but thank you for that no. And uh, uh, some, is there any um, any sort of memorable stories in there that you you can pull out just to give people a flavour of what to expect if you know when they get their copy? Uh, you might be surprised about a few things that you <laughs> might not be, or you might be embarrassed about something. But then again, you might not be. It just depends on what your life personality brings forth. Sure. <laughs> but you know, I. I had, uh, I remember one story with Dusty Rhodes and I, we were in Houston and we've been all been out drinking. And he said, why don't we streak the airport, which means taking your clothes off and run yeah. through there. So they had the small airport where we were, and we ran through it. And I remember Les Thatcher and a couple other guys were in the car and they were supposed to be waiting for us. <laughs> but lo and behold, when we get from point A to point B, there's no less or the other guys they took off. Oh no. <laughs> just left you there. Oops. And uh, you know, funny things like that. You know, it, it's yeah. not meant to be mean or hateful to anybody. It's just yeah. meant to have a good time and enjoy our fun moments. This, yeah. this is your story. This is this is what made that experience that life for you. So, you know, I say fill your boots, as we would say over here, you know. Just put in it whatever you want. There's there's an audience out there that would probably read absolutely anything that you guys had to share, including myself. So yeah, yeah, oh brilliant. Now, I um I'll wrap it up in a, in in sort of these next few minutes. And this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on. I I was I was so it was it was a bit of I thought it was a bit of a long shot really. I got to thank Nick as well for for helping put this together. It, I. Uh, I, I, I wasn't sure if it would if it would be something that would happen, but I'm so glad it has. Um, one thing I like to do with my guests is, is just a little bit of sort of fantasy booking in the end. So quite simply for yourself, um, WrestleMania, obviously being what it is, you know, it's sort of the pinnacle of the sport. If you could be on on a WrestleMania, you can consider that you you sort of made it, I suppose, that you you're well and truly in the spotlight. Is there a, a match that you would have loved to have been involved in at WrestleMania, who would it have been with? Probably with, uh, I'm going to say Ricky Steamboat or, or Ric Flair. Wow. You know, but their timing was impeccable. They were gifted athletes and they had a lot of knowledge like I did of the business. Mm. And uh, I would enjoy that. I, I saw Rick uh, Steamboat at um, in Charlotte and uh, I think it was called the gathering or something like that, but he was there and he made mention of me. And I thought that was very nice. You know, he, he was the big star. Yeah. And I wasn't, but the, still he was very nice giving me compliments. I remember also, uh, Sean Michaels. I, he was introducing somebody there in, uh, Las Vegas at the cauliflower alley club. And he, mm. And he mentioned me and Eddie Mansfield. And uh, I uh, was very surprised. He said it's probably one of the best matches he ever saw. And he believed me, he saw a lot of good matches. Yeah. And I was very thankful and I thanked him for that. And uh, 
outside of that, I can't think of anything. No, I mean, either of those would be classics, you know, absolutely. But uh, so your your book, Scott Casey's book, ladies and gentlemen, One Last Ride, you can look for it online. I know over here in the UK, you can get it on blurb.co.uk. Um, I think you, you just, am I right in thinking you just search for it and you can find any of the stockists where, where it is to order it. Um, you've got a, a couple of special signings coming up in the next few days, I understand. Yes, I do. Uh, Nick, come in here for a second. <laughs> come on, Captain. The boy's always running around to the refrigerator or something. I don't know. Yeah. Tell him about the yes. yes. Uh Chris will be uh, tomorrow night on what well, I know this is not going to come out until Friday, but our big uh, public signing is going to be this Saturday at 12 p.m. in uh, Queens, New York. We're going to be over at the Wrestling Universe uh, with Francis Lewis Boulevard. We'll be there from 12 to 2. We'll have copies of One Last Ride. We'll have some uh, great 8 by 10 photos. will be available for purchase. Uh, people can take pictures with Scott. Ronnie Garvin, former NWO World Champ, is going to be there. NWO Sting, Jeff Farmer is going to be there. So uh, we're going to have a fantastic afternoon. And, uh, yeah, uh, it's all about, uh, you know, the pandemic kind of slowed us down for the last 18 months. We're going back out on the road doing signings. But we're back now. we got the virtual tomorrow night, the public signing on Saturday. So we're fired up. We're ready for, uh, to uh, finish the rest of our One Last Ride uh, book. Awesome. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Chris. No worries. I'll um, even though yes, this is going to go out the Friday after the uh, the virtual signing, but I will be sharing it on my my pages as well because um, I'll be I'll be trying to stop in and say hi in that one. Um, okay. But Scott, again, thank you so so much. This has been amazing. I, I could sit and talk to you for hours. <laughs> I appreciate it, and thank you for letting us plug our book. No, okay. no problem at all. Anytime. But you 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 all the best with the book you know have a have a great time at the signings i'll i'll be very keen to see what else is happening and you know as things open up if i venture over there or you come over here you know we'll have to uh, we'll, we'll have to have see if we can link up tip a few and pipe the bristles on the richards <laughs> sounds good <laughs> thank you so much scott have a good one chris bye <laughs> Thank you for listening to a Nerd to Know Media production. 